Welcome to the Profit Powerhouse Podcast, the ultimate resource for business success and growth. I'm your host, Glenn Poulos, and I'm thrilled to be joining you on this exciting journey. Currently, I hold the position of VP and GM of NWS Canada. Additionally, I take pride in being the author of the critically acclaimed book, Never Sit in the Lobby. Throughout this podcast, my mission is crystal clear, to equip you with the strategies and insights you need to not only establish a strong presence in front of your clients, but also to take meaningful action and maintain that position. After all, being a pleasure to do business with is the key to fostering lasting connections in the corporate world. Together, we'll explore the art of not just building a successful and profitable company, but also cultivating a high-performing team that's capable of achieving remarkable results. Whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur, a seasoned business professional, or anyone looking to excel in the world of commerce, this podcast is tailored to help you thrive. If you're eager to be part of the conversation, I encourage you to visit my website, navigate to the podcast section where you can sign up and stay updated and participate in the show. Our episodes typically run for a duration of 30 to 40 minutes, ensuring you get a compact yet insightful dose of valuable information. So get ready to unleash your profit powerhouse potential. Join me on this podcast as we delve into the strategies, stories, and secrets that will drive your success. Remember, your journey to becoming an influential person and prosperous business leader starts right now. So uh, welcome to the Profit Powerhouse Podcast, the hub where business acumen meets entrepreneurial spirit. I'm your host, Glenn Poulos, and today we're thrilled to welcome a remarkable guest to our show. Join us in welcoming Gary Puddles, the president, CEO, and founder of AnswerNet, a distinguished figure in the world of business and entrepreneurship. Gary is celebrated for his serial entrepreneurship, guiding businesses towards greater execution and profitability. He's a recipient of the Smart CEO Best Run Companies Award and the prestigious Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. That is truly amazing. Um, adding to his accolades, Gary was named a Philadelphia Titan 100 in both 2022 and 2023. Gary, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Glenn. And it's been I've been looking forward to meeting with you and, and yeah. enjoying our talk. The um the did you go on after the EY uh, to pr pr uh, participate in the in the global uh, program or did it, was it just Canada or US or it was uh, the US I I won the region I went out for the national program in Palm Springs okay didn't didn't win but I met some incredible people yeah I continue to just in you know uh, encourage my entrepreneurship uh, which you know which I'm I'm. Quite, I, yeah. I'm quite excited about well, everything. It's a real testament to win that award. I mean, I, I've, um, I, I've never won it. Of course, I've never even competed in it. But I mean, I, I mean, I've read the books, uh, the you know, the uh, the preamble from EY on what it takes to be involved, and and so it's a real testament to your uh, to your background and your and your work, etc. So, um, so anyways, I've got some great questions for you. But I mean, what what inspired you to uh, to found your latest company, AnswerNet, and maybe tell us a little bit about it, what what it does. Sure, I could. The, the founder story is pretty uh, is pretty normal. I got fired, <laughs> and I, I you know I I often say I, I had gotten a term sheet for a different business that day, and uh, the I had gotten the term sheet off the facts. And I walked, I got invited into the CEO's office 
that day was my last day. Now I often say, did I quit or did I, uh, did I quit or did I get fired? Well, right. I collected unemployment. So that'll tell you, I got fired that day. So I wrote down all the things that I liked and all the things that I didn't like in a business. And I went out on the internet to find a business to buy. One of the biggest misconceptions about entrepreneurship is that people don't understand that you don't have to start something from scratch to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. So I looked at a number of different businesses and then I found the telephone answering service business or up in Canada, we call it a message center. And in 1998, I acquired my first answering service in the US. And in 1999, I acquired my first answering service in Canada. Wow. And I've been operating ever since. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you know, and it, it's, it does sound like there's a lot of similarities between our uh, our, our founder stories and whatever we had. I actually realized we also have the same initials as well. So there's probably lots in common there. As yeah, so it also stands for great people. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's Yeah, exactly. It does indeed. So what are some of the challenges you faced in growing AnswerNet and, and maybe uh, some of the ways you overcame some of those challenges? Certainly. The, the growth story... Uh, and the challenges around growth uh, can't be understated. So first is scope. We started with 20 people. Today, we have over 1,500. And during COVID, we had over 2,000. So the, the biggest challenges are integrating processes and systems without losing that entrepreneurial flair. Mm. So what happens is there are, there are stages in every business and every every industry. And that those stages are, you know, first you're a small, small company, then you're a you're in no man's land, if you know that reference, right? You're yeah. too big to be small, too small to be big. It's also a book called Little Giants, things like that, that are are out there helping you navigate that. Then you go to the top of the of the what I'll call the 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 small business and you go beyond that that framework. And you have to start adding processes. You start having matrix management instead of linear management. And when all of those things happen, you have people who were really strong for smaller companies who right. don't have the technology uh, or the communication experience to go to the next level. So in my business where people is everything, it, it is not just the hiring, it is the training and educating. The other thing that's really challenging is making sure we stay up with technology. So it's interesting because today, everything is about AI. AI yeah. this and AI and that. And most people don't realize there's conversational AI, and then there is then there is uh, generative AI, which is like chat GPT, where, where AI is doing research and things like that. In the call center business, the generative AI is a lot less other than where you're building a uh, you're building assistance for the agents. So it's integrating the new technology. So what I often say is, first of all, I have to constantly focus on how business communicates. Now, what makes that interesting and different is most people talk about uniform unified communications that's how individuals communicate but businesses communicate in a much different way the second is the introduction of technology ai isn't going to put the call center agent out of business they're not going to lose all their jobs no more than when india became a, a call center powerhouse all the jobs didn't go away in fact what happened in north america 
Canada had the second largest percentage of call center uh, to population. Then India was first and, and, and Canada was second. But more importantly, it was all about where the work could be done for the lowest price at the in the way that it's it's uh, it's acceptable to the business. Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations, which was the basis of the American economic plan, was was right until it was wrong because when all of a sudden places like India and the Philippines were much cheaper. Canadians and the U.S. people were very concerned because all of a sudden, you know, that's where the work was going. But the reality was the number of jobs in North America didn't decrease. It was the amount of new jobs that the number of jobs actually stayed steady. And then and then it got pushed out to other places. Today, there's a, there's still this push and pull because there's all, all these issues around data and data privacy, which are very country centric. Yeah. Wow. The um, so can you maybe reflect a little bit on customer service in your business model and how you uh, roll that out across 1500 people and maintain, you know, um, I, like I like to say, always be a pleasure to do business with. And so I, I assume you probably have a similar mantra of some sort, but how do you, how do you maintain that consistency across such a large swath of people? Well, and, it's, uh, it's really interesting. There's a couple of ways. First of all, we use, we are, we're very culture centered. So we use Vern Harnish's um, uh, mission to Mars. Yeah, uh, the mastering of the uh, of the Rockefeller Habits book as our process to develop our core values, and our mission statement was: uh, I used to teach at at a school called um, University of Pennsylvania. Um, people know it as Wharton, and yeah. I worked in their SBDC, and I, I brought one of my friends in from there, and we developed our mission statement. But everything we do is about customer facing. So we follow that Amazon model where we are ruthlessly focused on the customer. So for example, our mission statement is we help our clients run their businesses their way. It's not about how we we want to run it. So it's very flat. So by creating a culture which starts at the time you get you get hired. So the interview process incorporates our 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 uh, core values, then the onboarding, you know, we have, uh, we have what I call the fat guy blue shirt video. And this would be me, the fat guy in the blue shirt. And everybody has to watch it, that it gives them our origin story. Uh, you know, as we know, every entrepreneur has four types of stories, right? Origin, everybody needs our origin story. Then you have the, the story that, uh, that, that, the you have customer success, real big time customer success, right? So that's another big part of your story. The third, the third story is how you take a took a customer and you were able to make help them make more money or save money, right? So as these stories are being told, these are the stories that we tell in order to. Uh, and then the cultural story. So those are the stories that motivate people. And, and for me, one of the reasons I got into this business is I love people. I believe in people. I think people are awesome. And I don't care what country you're from. I don't care what religion you are. I don't care what color you are. So in a world where we give opportunity, where people feel secure, because not everybody wants to go like this. Many people 
want to go to work. They want to have security, know that they're not going to get fired. Their company is stable and they want to go home and live their life. They live, they work to live, not the other way around. Right. And, and so the way we keep our customer service is one of our core values is kind and likable. One of our other core values is passion, right? Yes. We have some of the most passionate, nice people. Now, sometimes that gets you in trouble. Being nice in business sometimes bites you in the butt. But like I like to say, I like the guy in the, in the mirror. And so I know that I'm going to get my butt kicked from time to time because I, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. But, Indeed. but it creates an atmosphere, a kindness, and, a, a, and, and really a feeling of, of love. And you have to excuse yeah. me because we just had our, our senior leaders meeting last week. Right. And it was different because of our growth. And it was different because we have, you know, it was just, there was just so much affection amongst the team and, and not inappropriate HR affection, just real affection between humans. It was yeah. pretty cool. That's awesome. What is meant winning that Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year award meant to you? And uh... so that was one of the coolest things ever. First of all, I didn't think I was going to win. So the night of the award, I was up against a guy who had built a two billion dollar um, real estate thing and uh, business. So we get there, and as they're going through, they pull, they surprise everybody, pull him out, and give him his own award. And then I looked at the other people and I said, you know, I guess I could win this. I hadn't even written a, a speech or anything. So I, on the back of my of my car, of my parking ticket, I wrote a speech. The point being that um, it gave me credentials. Now, I often say I'm the same knucklehead I was when I started the company, but now I'm a knucklehead with credentials. <laughs> the things you talk about, what it does, as we all know, the sales process is about trust. It starts with marketing, where you build trust online, or you build trust in the marketing, however you are marketing. Then you pass that trust into a salesperson and into the company. So when people are reviewing our company, they see a company that has was 21st on the Inc. 500, Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year, Wharton you know, not a, I wasn't a T I, I was involved in teaching what's called first steps. Okay. I'm involved in, in, in something uh, called the international startup festival, which happens every year in Montreal where I'm a investor judge and 10 of us get together and we each put in money and we invest in a, in a well-deserved startup. But what I also get to do by being part of that is I get to listen every year to some of the best and brightest young minds in the world as they tell us about their products and services. I get to see what's going on technically. I get to see what's going on uh, um, uh, uh, in other types of businesses. So, for example, this year's winner was a product company that does instant, instant freezing. Right. So they, you know, and, and ultimately they're hoping to be right next to your microwave. Another okay. time we had a company that did AI, uh, that did AI analysis of drug combinations to uh, AI analysis of drug combinations to manage toxicity. So what's really cool about that is that one sold out to a public 
And, and that was a big winner. Now, not through there. And my biggest success at entrepreneur in, in, in startup, I was one of the first investors in ring.com, which is now part of Amazon, uh, now part of uh, Amazon. So wow. I've had yeah. an amazing, amazing run. So not only inside of my business, but helping support entrepreneurialism at every level. Yeah, for sure. Can you maybe discuss a little bit about your role in shaping entrepreneurs at the Wharton School and how that, how you're involved there? Certainly. So uh, many universities have what are called small business development corps. And what they are are places for people to learn business in business school type settings. What I got a lot of were people with what I'll call golden handcuffs. You know, everybody dreams of entrepreneurship until they realize they either have to put up money, they have to put up time. I mean, I didn't get a I didn't get an official salary for the first 18 months of the company. Now, people don't right. know that. People don't. So what I was doing is teaching a course first. It was called First First Steps. Then they changed the name to Second Steps. But really what I was doing was helping people understand what it meant to be an entrepreneur. So that was the first class. And then the second class was to give them a framework on how to think in a simplified way about business. One of the things to be an entrepreneur, you need certain rules of thumb to describe and understand your business. There is not a business out there that can't be run based on six numbers. Now, in my business, it's only four, but in other businesses, as many as six. And if you can manage those six core numbers, so my biggest expense is people, right? Yeah. So managing people, my, you know, my second biggest expense is tap. So managing what I do and how I deliver my service each business has their own thing. It used to be real estate was another big cost factor, but since COVID, we've we've become about eighty percent remote. We have wow. we still have 20, 28 physical locations, but we also have we also have forty five teams, um, so that you can do the math and see that yeah. we, we're you know we're moving more and more, and even where we have a physical location, most of those people are home. Wow. Yeah. How do you um, approach risk management in your business ventures? Sounds like you've had many. So uh, depending on who you talk to, not well, um, <laughs> you know, uh, we did we seven, definitely talk. <laughs> we did 17 acquisitions in 24 months. Wow. Yeah. And the staff put me in AA acquisition, <laughs> acquisitions anonymous. So it's it's been uh, uh, ten months since my last acquisition. That's awesome. And you know, <laughs> you get a key and, tag for that, or <laughs> well, you know, it's very funny because we did we did take over some accounts from a friend of mine, and when I started getting a hard time from my team, I said that's not an acquisition. They just gave them to us, and we're paying them over time. So that's not really an acquisition of their business because they're still in business. I was really just being helpful. But, you know, we've grown a lot through acquisitions and and uh, we've also grown through through sales. But the the um, in terms of risk management, the, the key is never bet the farm. Now, at the beginning, you do. I mean, one of the stories I tell is that I mortgaged my house more times in the first five years of the company to buy other companies than most people will mortgage in a lifetime. And. I believe that they were calculated risks. 
but they were risks just the same. You know, doing these 17 acquisitions, mo all of those acquisitions were internally funded with either seller debt or bank debt. We, I don't have partners. I don't have PE right. firm. I don't have anybody like that. So when you talk about risk management, I wake up every day and I'll never forget when, when I woke up one day and thought and found my payroll over a million dollars a month, I freaked a little bit. But yeah. when I but during COVID, when we broke the four million dollar month salary range, I almost I, I was I was ill. Okay. When you think about that, when you think about risk. That that's fifteen hundred to three thousand families at any time that are that that are looking at me to not be a butthead, not to not that. be stupid, right? So when you think about risk management, an entrepreneur has to be ready to take risk. There's no entrepreneur that doesn't take risk, but the question of how much risk you're willing to take. So what happened was we made great profits during COVID because we were helping states in the U.S. and we were helping uh, in, in unemployment, in scheduling uh, uh, COVID tests and then scheduling COVID vaccines, doing things like that. And we grew really fast and we put all of those profits back in through the acquisitions for the sole because one of our cultural things is our purpose is profitability and sustainability. The whole idea is to make profits isn't to line the pockets of the shareholders, but it's, which is me, but isn't to line, but it's to be able to reinvest in the business because this is a business. The, the tech enabled BPO business is a today business. You have the, the right technology, the right people. You have to be able to support businesses of every size. We have over 8,000 clients running from, from uh, plumbers and lawyers and real estate firms all the way up to Fortune 500 companies. So being able, you know, including Amazon, right? So being able to manage all of those kinds of things in terms of risk, I'm very lucky to have uh, yeah. a leadership team that understands that as well. And, and, and they understand what my risk, risk tolerances are and come to me when they think I'm going too far. So sort of as a final question, what would what advice would you give to budding entrepreneurs in today's market? The one that's just before the first step, the one before the, they got that paperwork and left the next day kind of thing like you were, you know. So the best advice I can give to a, a budding entrepreneur is to believe in yourself, is to first figure out what is your goal and work towards your goal. Because being an entrepreneur isn't, oh, I have to be the biggest. What you have to think about is what is your life goal and then work towards that goal and figuring out how you're going to build your plan. So, so I think it's really important for you to understand where you want to be personally because anybody who tells you that being an entrepreneur isn't directly tied to your own personal financial and life goals doesn't understand what it means yeah. to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, good point. That's amazing. I mean, um, where where can people go to learn more about you or connect with you? Um, yeah, uh, I'd love. I'm sure there's a lot of people would love to learn a lot more about what you're what you're involved in. So, 
obviously I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Facebook and TikTok yeah. and Twitter and those those platforms. But for business, you can come to answernet.com. You can come to telemarketing.com. You can come to tpv.com uh, or answeramerica.com or answercanada.ca. Amazing. Those are some good URLs too, by the way. <laughs> oh, I actually have a few more, but I, yeah, I, can, I can imagine I see your face. That wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So. yeah, right on. Well, hey, uh, Gary, I really want to thank you for being on the Profit Powerhouse today. You're definitely the truly, you know, an inspiring entrepreneur and it's been wonderful. I'm hoping I can have you back as well. There's a lot more questions I have. I'd love to get through. So thanks, Gary, for being here and uh, being part of the show. Thanks for having me. And this was as good after seeing your stuff online. Let me also recommend uh, Glenn's books. And after seeing your stuff online, Glenn, Thanks, I, Gary. I was looking forward to this very much. And you de you delivered with a, with a homely. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to another insightful episode of the Profit Powerhouse podcast. Your support and engagement means the world to us. If you're brimming with expertise and eager to join us, Navigate to my website at glenpoolis.com forward slash podcast and go to the be a guest section to connect with us. Don't keep this information to yourself. Please share this podcast on your favorite social media platforms to empower your network with the strategies and wisdom you've gained. Your feedback fuels our growth. Please take a moment to rate and review the Profit Powerhouse podcast wherever you listen. Your input helps us to continually refine our content to serve you better. Remember, our mission is your success. We've committed to providing you with the tools and insights to drive your business forward, and we're excited to have you on this journey with us. To stay up to date on the latest episodes, hit the subscribe button, and let's stay connected. Reach out to me on social media and continue the conversation and stay inspired. For resources and information, visit my website at glenpoolis.com. And before we sign off, remember, I'm Glenn Poulos, and reminding you that your potential as a business leader is limitless. Thank you for being a part of this podcast where your success story begins.